Dear Heavenly Father, we are, we are thankful for being able to worship together as believers to direct our eyes and our hearts and our minds towards you. And even as that last song that we just sang says, to just proclaim our need for you. We are hopeless and helpless without you. Sometimes our pride gets in the way. Sometimes our own self-ambitions get in the way. But when it comes down to it, Lord, I pray that you would just remind us each and every day of our need for you and you alone. Lord, um, allow your word this morning uh, to penetrate our hearts and our minds and to cause us to place our gaze on you more and more. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, what a wonderful morning to be with God's people. Amen? Yeah? All right. <laughs> that was almost wonderful. Uh, we'll get there. I know it's sometimes in the Willamette Valley, if you're fully cooked after the week, uh, you just kind of come in here to cool off a little bit. But uh, this is going to be happening this morning. Um, we have a, a special privilege uh, to have uh, Dr. Allen here this morning. Um, I've, I've shared this multiple times, but uh, when I first encountered Dr. Allen, it was in a convicting message as he's preaching to preachers about what it means to have a heart that chases after the Lord and not that is serving men. Um, in fact, I, I, I say it every time because I'm still shocked uh, at the passage that you had chosen that morning where it actually says uh, in Ezekiel that the shepherds had become stupid. And uh, you were looking at a bunch of shepherds uh, looking back at you. I don't know what that looked like from your end, but it was pretty hot where I was at. <laughs> yeah. That was a beautiful morning. I, I knew you just soon after that uh, as a scholar. Uh, and then you came out as a uh, guest speaker here, and uh, we learned greatly. But over the years now, um, I, I'm thankful to call you friend, and I'm really blessed. There's a passage in my mind that uh, stands out when I think of not just your ministry, uh, but how the Lord uses you and the heart that I've seen. And in Revelation chapter 4, there is a moment where we get to peek into heaven uh, and this drama unfolds. Uh, and it says um, that there is a song that's going on in heaven. It says, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is uh, to come. And whenever the living creatures gave glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne to worship the one who lives forever and ever, to cast their crowns before the throne. And they say, our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and because of your will, they exist and are created." The proper response of us as those that are created is to look at our creator and to say, you are worthy. You're the one that receives glory. You're the one uh, to whom everything is due. And the energy that I have always heard um, from Dr. Allen has been to point all of the glory uh, and the honor back to Jesus. Um, when you preach, uh, I get a glimpse of this scene on a regular basis, Doc, so uh, I'll bring you with great ceremony up to the stage. They're going to clap right now.
Let, let me pray, and uh, we'll let you preach. Father, we come before you now, and we do ask that you would uh, not only fill this place, cause us to have soft hearts, um, that we would be open to the truth, that we would be changed uh, at the hearing of it. But I pray that you would uh, give Dr. Allen right now that same passion, that fire that uh, uh, fills your word, that uh, he would see those thoughts, your ways, your heart, and uh, he would preach that um, without holding back. Father, that uh, you would energize us as a result. And I do pray uh, that every time we hear your word preached, uh, it would cause us to change and to go out different, to be energized in our walk. So do that this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Justin, and welcome to all of you to allow me to be back here today. And I am grateful for every opportunity I have to come to Salem Heights Church. And this is one more. Thank you for the invitation. And thank you for rescuing me from 109 degrees in Dallas, Texas as well. Oh, my goodness. I don't know if you watch the news of weather anywhere outside of what's going on in the beautiful, great state of Oregon. But if you have seen the weather the last week or two in Dallas, it's been terrible. Uh, I went out on my back porch uh, let's see, what is this? Today's Sunday, right? Today's Sunday. <laughs> I went out on my back porch Thursday, this past Thursday in Dallas at 9.30. And at 9.30, it was 99, 9.30 at night, it was 99 degrees. 9.30 at night in Dallas, it was 99 degrees. The high that day was 109. It had been 109. So thank you for rescuing me. And for bringing me here. But then on the other hand, your pastor has given me the task of speaking today and preaching today on the subject of human sexuality. I like to pick what I preach on. I don't like to be told what I'm preaching on. Because then I can pull my sugar stick sermons and, you know, really wow you with my favorite sermons. But no, no, he said that I have to come here today in the special series, the summer series you all are engaged in. And he gave me the topic of dealing with human sexuality, a, a very non-controversial topic. <laughs> I mean, there's no controversy, especially in Oregon, there's no controversy <laughs> on that subject. No controversy anywhere, right? And so I don't really know what to say to him for that. But uh, I'm not sure if I'm up to the task today, frankly. But I know the Holy Spirit is. And I know the Word of God is. And so here's what we're going to do. Today it will be a little different than what you've heard from me today. Usually I take one text of Scripture and I unpack that text and we stay with that text. We don't leave our wingman. That's my normal modus operandi. Today, though, will be a little bit different. What I want us to do today, in fact, is look at three key passages of Scripture. And in order to get all of that done and allow time for the people to get in here for the second service, you're going to have to listen fast. And so it'll be tough to do, but let's just ask you to go ahead and join me in Genesis chapter 2, if you'll go ahead and find your place there, because I want to make some preliminary remarks, some statements as we move uh, to looking at some of these texts of Scripture. Uh, but I want to begin in just a moment in Genesis chapter 2, and I want you to have your, find your Bibles, and I want you to have your place there. Now, I want to begin by saying something 
to those of you who are here today who either were formerly a part of or today you are here in this service and you are a part of a member of the LGBT community. All right? I want to say a, a beginning, a word right out of the chute to those of you who are here today that are either formally or currently a member within that community. Many times in the past, people who are Christians and who ought to know better have treated you in unchristian, unchristlike ways. And when they do that, they are always wrong. And they are never reflecting the love of Christ at that point when they do that. And so I would like you to hear me say today, before I say anything else, I would like for you to hear me acknowledge that. There is a reason why so many in the LGBTQ community refuse to listen to what Christians have to say. Now, I think those reasons, some of those reasons are certainly not good reasons. But those of us who are Christians who have taken a hard stand on truth and not done it in love have hindered rather than helped many people. And so I want to say that up front, and I want to express apology to you on behalf of those of us who are Christians. Now, I'm not speaking for anybody in this church, all right, but I am, I have seen Christians act unchristianly to those people who are not Christians or to those who claim to be Christians and yet who also claim to be a member of the, uh, the lesbian, gay, uh, bisexual, transgender, queer community. By the way, all of those terms and that shorthand is the terminology that they use. I'm using terminology that is common terminology and that they prefer to be referred to as a community and as a group. So I want to say that first rattle out of the box. I think that is important to say. Now I'm going to say many things today. I'm going to share many things from the Word of the Lord today. And I hope you will hear my heart when I do so. And I hope that you will discover and, and hear that I want to speak about redemption and not rancor. I want to focus on Scripture and not culture. I want to focus on discernment and not deception. And particularly self-deception on the part of people who make the decision in sexual matters to do it their way and not God's way. I want to say a word today about the importance of truth, but not tolerance. There's a right tolerance and there's a wrong tolerance. You know the right kind of tolerance that we love and respect one another. But you do not tolerate a rattlesnake in your baby's crib. So there is a right kind of tolerance and there is a wrong kind of tolerance. I want to speak today about compassion and not condemnation. I want to think today about morality and not bigotry. 
I want to talk today about hope, not helplessness. And I want to think today about forgiveness, not judgment. And I hope you will hear me as I attempt to do that. But understand that I'm just a delivery boy. I'm going to read some text of Scripture, and this is what God says. And there are certain principles and certain non-negotiables that are vital to understand. If you are here today and you're not a Christian, let me help you to understand how those of us who are Christians and followers of Jesus, what we believe that God Himself says about His Word. His Word is the final word. Now, I know that you may not believe that, but those of us who are believers understand that we believe that somebody is going to be the authority. And we do not believe that we are the authority. We do not believe that culture is the authority. And we do not believe that government is the final authority on matters, doctrine, and morality. We believe that God has the right, who is the Creator, to set all of those parameters, and we believe that He has revealed that in His Word. And so here are the non-negotiables that those of us who are believers operate from. Number one, Scripture affirms that all people are created in the image of God. Scripture affirms that all people are created in the image of God. All people, everywhere. Number two, Scripture affirms the equal dignity and value of all people. No one is of less value to God than someone else. All people are of value to God. By the way, including the unborn child. But that's not our focus today. But all people, and Scripture affirms the equal dignity and the, equal, and the value of all people. Number three, non-negotiable. LGBTQ people should not be singled out for special attention either negatively or positively. No one should be singled out for special attention negatively or positively because of the two previous non-negotiables that we just discussed. They are people like everybody else, is a person. And they are equal with all others. There's no, nobody who's better than somebody else. Number four, Scripture affirms the fact that all people are sinners. There is none righteous, no, not one, the Scripture says. Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The only difference between saved people and unsaved people, people who know Christ and people who don't, is one group is saved, they're saved sinners and the other unsaved sinners. That's the only difference. We're all sinners. And anyone who is saved from their sin is saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It is our personal sin that separates us from a holy God. These again, these again are the non-negotiables. I'm walking through the non-negotiables from the perspective of those of us who are Christ followers. Here is what we understand God Himself to be teaching in His Word and what Jesus Himself teaches. I just want you, if you're not a Christ follower, to understand why Christ followers think the way they do. Because it is important that we understand how you think the way that you do. That's a part of love and respect 
that we owe each other. Number five non-negotiable is this. Scripture affirms that God loves all people. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in Him should not perish, but should have eternal life. Scripture affirms that God loves all people and that Christ has died for the sins of all people. There is no one on this planet whom God doesn't love, and there is no one on this planet for whose sins Jesus did not suffer on the cross. And that includes every single member of the LGBTQ community and everybody else, everybody else. And number six, God calls all people to repentance of their sin and to have faith in Jesus Christ. God calls all people to do that. And God offers all people forgiveness of all sin and a right relationship with Him based on the death of Christ on the cross for our sin. So it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what your past looks like. It doesn't matter how much junk or muck or mess is in your life. God loves you. And Jesus has died on the cross demonstrating God's love for you. And God is calling each of you to a relationship with Himself. That God-shaped vacuum in your heart that you're trying to find, and some of you have tried to find it in all kinds of sexual ways, and you're seeking and you're looking for meaning. God knew all about that long before you were ever born, and He and He alone is your answer. And that's what we as believers believe. Now we're going to see from Genesis and two other passages of scriptures in a moment that sexuality is God's design. God thought it up. You didn't. It's God's design. It's God's creation. And it's God's gift given originally to Adam and Eve, our first progenitors, our father and mother, Adam and Eve, and thus to all humanity. Sex is God's gift. Now, like all good things that God has given, it can be misused. It can be perverted. And we need to recognize that. Number two, sexual unity is singularly, according to Scripture, sexual unity is singularly within the bounds of a husband and a wife as male and female. Nothing is clearer in Scripture. From the very beginning, Genesis 2, we'll read in a moment all the way through what Jesus says, what Paul says. That fact is crystal clear. Now you say, well, I don't agree with that. Well, that's okay, but that's what God says. I'm just, all I'm doing, I'm the delivery boy. I don't write the news, I just deliver it. Okay? You're, you need to take this up with God if you say, well, I don't like that. Or culture says, or my personal opinion is, or whatever. Well, again, I'm just understand, I'm the delivery boy. I don't write the news. I wasn't the creator. And I'm not the fourth member of the Trinity. I'm just the preacher today, okay? And just the delivery boy. God's Word and God Himself is the one who has the right to set all of the standards because He alone is sovereign Lord. And that's exactly what he has done. He has created and he has given, uh, he has created Adam and Eve, man and woman, and God is the author of human sexuality. 
And what God does and what God says about that, he gets to make the rules. He's the one who initiated everything. And number three, this is also important. There's no instance in Scripture in the Old or New Testament, none of any sexual union ordained or blessed by God apart from or between, except that which is between a married man and woman. Now that's what Scripture says. There's no instance, either explicit or implicit, in the Old or New Testament of any sexual union being ordained by God or being blessed by God except that which is between a married man and woman. From Genesis to Revelation, that's what you will find in Scripture. Number four, Jesus unequivocally affirmed the creation-based truth of human sexuality when He spoke on the topic of marriage in Matthew chapter 19 and Mark chapter 10. Here's what he said. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they too shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but they are one flesh. That is speaking of the covenant commitment, which is what marriage is, and then the sexual unity that comes into that covenant commitment, and they too shall become one flesh. Number five, no one has the right to rewrite God's directions for sexuality and marriage. You don't, I don't, the Supreme Court doesn't. No one does. God is the only one who has the right to set What are the standards for sexuality and what are the standards for uh, marriage? No one has the right to rewrite those. Heterosexual sin and homosexual sin is all sin. Heterosexual sin and homosexual sin is still all sin according to God's Word. Number six, people are more than their sex or their sexual desires. Therefore, to define yourself by these desires alone is actually to diminish your full humanity. Have you thought about that? Gayness is not essential to someone's personhood. To take the position that it is, then that is to use something to define yourself that actually hinders your full humanity instead of helping it. Personhood for each of us is more than our sexual passions. The Bible makes very clear that personhood for each of us is more than our gender. It's a part of that, but it's more than that. And this is crucial. Number seven... Male and female, marriage and family, are not cultural constructs. Culture didn't say, here's how it's going to be. God did that. They're not culturally defined. And that's important to understand. And number eight, same-sex attraction and sexual identity, defined contrary to Scripture, is not equivalent to ethnicity or race. We're not talking about race and ethnicity. I've seen the argument made, and you have too. Well, this is no difference than, you know, the civil rights movement. And, uh, you know, African Americans have the right 
to full civil rights, and so should uh, people who choose to be LGBTQ. No, you're mixing apples and oranges at that point. Because you're assuming that sexual orientation is diverse when God says, no, it's not. And you're assuming that it's uh, endemic to birth, and all science says, no, it's not. And you're assuming that it is unchangeable, and all of the, and by the way, to make that statement is to run contrary to the gospel, to say that the gospel of Jesus Christ can't change people's lives. And that's also false. And so there are a host of issues there. So those who stand for, those believers who stand for God's design in marriage and in human sexuality are not bigots and are not racists. Now, we as believers may act in unseemly ways, but that's our sin. That doesn't change the reality of truth. Truth is truth, period, regardless of how people who know that truth and act on how they act. That doesn't change the truth. And that's so important to recognize. So important to understand that we understand that. Now, with that foundation, I want to move quickly. Let, let me go to Genesis chapter 2. What does the Bible say about the first man and woman? Well, let's take a look at that. Genesis chapter 2. Look at verse 8. I want to show you some interesting stuff here. Genesis 2, verse 7. Start verse 7. Then the Lord God formed, the Hebrew word there is yatser, formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. And the man, in Hebrew, ish, Hebrew word for man, became a living being. I want to show you there. There's the general statement of the creation of Adam. So the creation of man. Ladies, I want you to notice some things. I want you to notice that man, we are told, is formed. The Hebrew word there is yatser, and it's a simple Hebrew word. One of the, one of the primary meanings was to make a simple clay pot. And that's about all man is, right? He's just a clay pot. And interestingly enough, notice that he's made out of what? Dirt. So go ahead and say it, ladies. Men are dirt. And you got a little bit up there. certain truth to that. Notice that's what we are told about the man. Now, I want to contra contrast that with what God says about the creation of the woman. So, ladies, I want you to track with me. Let's go to verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his... Now, this is a translation here. Ribs is common translation. But literally in Hebrew, it's the word tselah, T-S-E-L-A, tselah. And it means a part of his side. It may have included uh, a rib, but it's literally a part of his side. And so the Lord God took one of his ribs. He closed that flesh. Then the Lord God made what he had taken from the man into a woman. Now, I want you to look at some things, ladies. I want you to look at that word made. The word made there is different 
It's the same English word uh, in the previous verses about God making man, but it's a whole different word in Hebrew. The man's word is yatser. The Hebrew word here for creating the woman is bana. And the word bana there means to, is a word that was used to artfully construct a temple or a palace or a work of art. Do you see? The Lord God took dirt and he made a clay pot called a man. But then, notice what the woman, what substance she is made from. She's not made from the dust of the ground. She's made from living tissue, from living flesh. Do you see that? And furthermore, when God made her, He didn't just yatser her. He didn't throw her together like a clay pot. No, what did He do? He bana. He constructed her, he fashioned her like a temple, like a palace, like a work of art. Now, what is God saying? First, rattle out of the box, what's the one word that's descriptive of what's going on here that describes a man and a woman? The one word that should come to your mind, and here it is. It is the word different. Oh, yeah, same. Yeah, but same kind of different as me. Or if you want to say, different kind of same as me. Man's made of something different than the woman is made of. There's a different Hebrew word that is used to describe her creation compared to his creation. And so there is God creating man and woman and creating them Equal spiritually before God, there's an equality, but yet there is a distinctiveness that is revealed in Scripture itself, and there is a distinctive function between a man and a woman, or for a man and a woman, that is also clearly delineated in these passages. And this is God's design, and by the way, when God finished, He said, it is very good. God said that human sexuality, a man and a woman, bringing them together in the first marriage, and by the way, it says God brought her to the man. There's your first wedding ceremony. The music is playing, and God himself escorts her down the aisle to Adam. This is God's design. This is what Scripture says. Now, you say, oh, no, I don't, I don't believe all that. Fine, dandy, and wonderful. Go right on. Go right ahead. And one day when you die and stand before God and give an account as all of us will, you will wish you had listened to that short preacher from Texas that day. Because this is what God says is how it works out. So basically, here's what God is saying. A man is an old Ford pickup. He'll just keep going and going, and he's the Energizer Bunny. He rumbles along, and the bumper will fall off, and he's smoking a tailpipe, you know, but he just, he just goes right. He's an old Ford pickup. The Bible says a woman is a Porsche. That's what she is. You get the slightest bit of dust in the carburetor, and the whole thing shuts down. 
Hey, look, you know, I was married for 40 years. <laughs> I didn't fall off the turnip truck yesterday. I just sound like it, but let me tell you what a man is. Have you ever seen the a picture, or those of you that are my age, you remember these, the little pair of rabbit ear antenna that were on top of the old black and white television set, and we, your, your mom or your dad strung tin foil <laughs> over that. Do you, remember, do you remember that? Some of you are too young to know what I'm talking about. Go look it up. <laughs> look at a picture of it. Rabbit ear antenna with tin foil strung, sitting on top of a black and white TV. That, that's a man. You know what a woman is? A NASA satellite <laughs> with antenna out all over, taking in millions of data of information from all over the universe. That's a woman. Her sensitivity and her perception. A man, you go over there and slap that antenna, you know, try to get a little tin foil there. And you might get a little bit of reception. You know, that's a man. <laughs> but a woman is a NASA satellite. Billion dollar piece of satellite up there orbiting the earth, taking in what's going on all over creation. Now, if you're married, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Here's my point. Marriage... This is God's plan. God created a man, He created a woman, and He brought them together. He says it's not good for the man to be alone. Now, we're not here to talk about singleness. That also is a gift from God. But that's, we're not here to talk about that. Can't get into all of that today. But marriage is a covenant union. According to Malachi 2.14, God said, I'm angry with my people Israel because they're violating the covenant because the husbands are mistreating their wives and they're just giving them, doing away with them and divorce for any number of reasons. And God calls that sin. And it's a covenant. Marriage is a covenant union, number one. And then it is a sexual union, number two. Both speak of commitment. Marriage is a reflection of the union of Christ and His church, according to Paul in Ephesians 5. It's what marriage is. This is why cohabiting without marriage is sinful. You said, now, David, I, was like, I enjoyed what you were saying up till now. But now you're getting personal. Well, I'm just a delivery boy. Remember, this is what God says. You see, cohabiting without marriage is a contradiction because what you're saying is this, I love you and I want to be physically intimate with you, but I want to keep my option of escape open in case you don't meet all my needs. Ladies, if he's not committed to you to marry you, he's not committed to you and he doesn't really love you. And vice versa. Oh, but David, what difference does a piece of paper make? Okay. All right, Q. Glenn Campbell. It's knowing that your door is always open and your path is free to walk. That makes me tend to leave my sleeping bag rolled up and stashed behind your couch. And it's knowing I'm not shackled by forgotten words and bonds and the ink stains that are dried upon some line. 
that keeps you in the back roads by the rivers of my memory, keeps you ever gentle on my mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just a piece of paper. When you buy a house, you don't buy a house without a piece of paper. In fact, you don't buy a house without lots of pieces of paper. <laughs> because the people that are selling you that, that house expect commitment. Some of you want to pull a Glenn Campbell on God here. No, can't do that. God says in Genesis 2, This is why man leaves his father and mother, bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Let me shift gears quickly. I've been doing a lot of reading about the human brain. The number one most important organ in sex and physical intimacy is your brain. Scientists have learned a great deal about the human brain and what happens in when uh, a couple comes together in sex. I'm going to summarize some of this. And those of you that are younger, I want you to really listen to me, okay? I want you to really listen to me. Number one, the aspect, the part of the human brain that forms what we would just call the ability to make good judgment on the basis of all facts, that's not fully formed in a person until they're roughly 25 years of age. This is why when you are 16 and you think you found him, and you can't live without him, and your parents, you cannot understand why your parents don't go along with you. You see... Your brain is actually, it has nothing to do with intelligence. It has nothing to do with intelligence. But the aspect of your brain, people who study this will tell you that in the human brain, it's roughly age 25 when all of those factors come together where you can basically, uh, you've got what it takes to make sound judgments. This is one reason why God gives children parents. And furthermore, when you engage in physical intimacy, now those who study the brain tell you that there are all kinds of things that happen. We now understand the neurochemical, or at least better than we ever have, the neurochemical concepts of what goes on in the brain during physical intimacy. This kind of thing now has been discovered. And there are three primary neurochemicals, dopamine, oxytocin, and vasopressin. And whenever you are involved, no matter how old you are, but whenever you are involved in a physical relationship, sexual relationship, whenever you're engaged in, in intercourse, then these chemicals bathe your brain. And certain things happen, one of which is what scientists call a bonding that occurs. And that bonding that occurs creates a desire for more bonding with that person. 
And then, if you're going to take the position that, you know, it's going to be friends with benefits or just a hookup or a one-night stand, and so you're going to be involved with many sexual partners, then what happens is the bonding is, is made and then broken and made and broken again until, physic, until psychologically you become like a piece of tape that's been used so many times that it won't stick anymore. And then for the rest of your life, you become sexually frustrated because you cannot, all of this bonding, you've bonded with different people and it creates major psychological and emotional problems in people's lives. Now, you probably don't expect to hear this from the preacher on Sunday morning. But I take my assignment seriously. Pastor Justin said, there's your topic, deal with that. And so I do. And so I've done a little research and a little reading, and I've looked in my Bible a little bit and understood these kinds of things now. And I'm sharing this with you from my heart. That's why God knows what He said. Did you hear what I just said about the brain physiologically? Long time before any scientist ever understood this, God said, they too shall become one flesh. That's what happens when you engage in physical intimacy. And that's why God says, you wait until marriage to do that. And if you don't, you're inviting problems, emotional and psychological. Not even to mention STDs and and pregnancies and all of that. We're not even talking about any of that. I mean, we could, but that's not even the... We're not talking about that. We're just talking about the other, the other psychological problem, not physical stuff, psychological stuff, and then the spiritual damage that's done because we chose not to do it God's way. I'm pleading with you today to do it God's way. That's what I'm pleading with you for. Do it God's way. Now... I want you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. Let's do this quickly. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Go to the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. Find 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. Here we go. God says, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, This is God's will, even your sanctification. You're being set apart as of Christian. He's addressing believers now. This is God's will, that you keep away from sexual immorality. There it is, black and white. You keep away from sexual immorality. You must understand that when the Bible speaks on sexual issues, it does so with clarity. And also, we must understand the the distinction, for example, between homosexual desire and homosexual acting out, homosexual activity. It's important that we recognize the distinction. They are related, but they are not identical. The Bible says all homosexual practice is sinful. All of it. The Bible also says all heterosexual practice outside of the bonds of marriage is also sinful. All of it. The Bible calls sex between unmarried people fornication. 
and then someone who's married who violates the marriage bond and goes out and has sex with somebody else, that's called adultery. And the Bible says both are sinful and both are placed within the context of sin just like homosexual sin. Homosexual sin is no worse sin than heterosexual sin. Sin is sin, period. Now, some sin may have different consequences, but sin is sin, period. No greater sinners and lesser sinners. That's something that's important. Stay away from all sexual immorality. Verse 4, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor. The issue is controlling yourself. Not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. This means one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or a sister in this manner because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses. As we previously told and warned you, God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. Now listen to this. Consequently, anyone who rejects this, Paul says, does not reject man, but God. You see, if you are here today and you say, David, you know, I just don't buy that and I'm going to do it my way. Understand that you're not rejecting me or the beliefs of this church or whatever or Scripture You are rejecting Scripture, but understand that what you're doing is rejecting God. And God will hold you accountable. We love you enough to tell you that. That God will hold you accountable as He will hold us accountable. This is is what Scripture teaches. This is what is so vital that we understand. And then we move from here. I want you to go to my third text. I want you to go into 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So just from where you are in Thessalonians, turn left, 1 Corinthians, and find the 6th chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and let's look at verses 9 and following. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and following. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. Remember we talked about deception, truth versus deception. Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers. Now look at there. Sexually immoral people, idolaters and adulterers. All right, I'll put in that category. Now, let's keep going. Or males who have sex with males. There is clear. That's what it says directly in the Greek, by the way. Males who have sex with males. Verse 10. No thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, swindlers. None of them will inherit God's kingdom. Now, do you understand what Paul is saying? He is talking about people who choose this lifestyle and concomitantly who reject Christ's offer of salvation. So they're rejecting Christ and this is what they're choosing. They're choosing thievery. They're choosing adultery. And do you notice here that homosexual sin is just listed along with all of these other sins including heterosexual sin. And they're all put in the same boat. And Paul is not trying to make a full list. He's just giving examples that if you're going to choose this kind of lifestyle and you're not going to choose God, then you're never going to inherit the kingdom of God. The point is that you cannot say, please listen to me, to my dear 
LGBTQ people here today, listen to me. You cannot, God does not give you the option of choosing your sin over Him. You can't do it. You've got to come to Christ, and you may still struggle with things, but you have to abandon that sinful lifestyle. All of us do. And notice the wonderful hope that's found in verse 11. And such were some of you. Paul is writing to a group of people, and they, that describes all of their lifestyle one way or another before they got saved, before they became a Christian, before they became a follower of Jesus. Christians aren't better than anybody else. They're just saved from their sin. That's all. Now, you Christians, you think you're better than we are. Well, some may and some may act that way, but when they do, they are not living up to Christ. And let me plead with you, don't use that as an excuse for choosing to stay in your sin. Because God will not allow you that freedom, that excuse. You don't have that excuse. Just because some Christians do it wrong doesn't mean that you can flaunt God. When God says, forget about what they do, you better listen to me. You better do what I say. And, this, and so this is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you've been justified. Here's the power of God through Christ to save anybody and change anybody's life. Look at verse 15. Don't you know? Don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ's body? Should I take a part of Christ's body, make it a part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? There's that bonding again. Scriptures, for Scripture says, the two will become one flesh. There's the quotation from Genesis. But anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with Him. Therefore, flee sexual immorality. Run from it. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Watch it. We're going to end on this one. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Paul's writing to Christians whom you have from God, and here it is, you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You see, first of all, let me address believers in closing. You're not your own. No, I, I can do what I want, live, I, I have liberty. I'm Christian liberty. Well, you need to reread that chapter. He talks about Christian liberty earlier. You know, I can, you know, Eat meat, even if it offends my brothers or whatever. And Paul says, no, you can't. You don't have that kind of liberty. Love trumps liberty. And now Paul is saying, those of us who are believers, our job is to do it God's way. We may flub up on the, along the way. We may mess up. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you glad that verse is in the Bible? But that does not take away the reality that God says, here's how we are to do it. God offers forgiveness and God changes our lives. That's what regeneration does. And there are many of you here and you've been, you have been changed and your testimony, you could walk up here one after another and bear testimony to how God has saved you from the muck and the mire and your life is different. You're not perfect, but you're, you've been changed by the grace of God. That testimony can be anyone's testimony in this service today or anyone listening to my voice. That testimony can be yours because God will change any sinner who humbly comes to Him and seeks repentance 
and faith in Christ, and God will grant salvation to those who do. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. And for those of you who aren't believers today, you are His by creation, but you're also His by redemption. He created you. He has every right to give you the rules of how the game is played. But He also redeemed you. He died on the cross to save you from your sins But he also decrees that people must make a conscious decision to follow Christ. They must repent of their sin and by faith believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And all sins can be forgiven. I know we're out of time, so just a second more. I wish I could tell you all of the things that homosexuals have said to me through the years. For example, when one man sat in my office... He said, let me tell you, David, it's a lot of things, but gay it is not. He said, "My, I and most of my gay friends are miserable. He said, now the culture will tell you, no, we're not, and you all are the ones who are missing out. We're having the wonderful time. But he said, there's misery. It's a miserable, trapped lifestyle. That's what he told me. And I'm just giving you one example. I've been told that I don't know how many times. He said, most homosexuals I know are miserable people moving from one relationship to another who are trapped in a vicious circle hoping to find meaning and purpose. And others others have told me that they came into homosexuality because of their family situation. They had a fatherless home or they had a mother who was a dominant person, a daddy who was a wet noodle or whatever. There are all kinds of sociological and family factors that play in to why people choose, why people are drawn into a certain lifestyle. Others have told me about the teasing they received in school. They were called names because they were different and that led them to experimentation as a teenager. And then someone helped them to feel like they were a person of worth and value. And so, David, I fell into a homosexual lifestyle. Wish I could tell you how many times I've been told that. Searching for love, for meaning, and for acceptance. We all are. All of us are searching for that. If you're a human being, that's what you're searching for. And the wonderful news of the gospel is God through Christ has given us what we need, what we are searching for. He and He alone can fulfill the deepest need of your heart. He and He alone can do it. So my plea to you today, if you're a Christian, do it God's way. And if you're not a Christian, stop doing it your way and come to Him and let Him forgive you of all of your sins and come to Christ this morning. So at the end of this service, members of this church will be here, pastoral staff be here, I'll be here If there's anyone here today, you need Christ. The Holy Spirit is even now. He's drawing you. He's working in your heart. Come to Christ. There's no sin you've committed that He can't forgive. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any more than He loves you right now. Nothing you can ever do to make Him love you any less than He loves you right now. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Far more we could say about all of this, biblically, scientifically, culturally, socially. But here's enough for you today who don't know Christ to come to Christ. And here's enough for you today who know Christ to choose to continue to follow Him in obedience to His will and also to show love and respect 
to those who differ from you who don't know Christ so that we might help them come to Christ. Pray with me, would you? Father, we love you today. Lord, this has just been such a fast tour journey through these few verses and thinking about the subject. But, oh God, would you speak to our heart? Would you teach us what we need to know? Would you show us your love as you do through Christ? And, Lord, would you draw men and women and young people in this service to Jesus today? That out of this service, as a result of this, many would come to faith in Christ. Lord, you're a good God. You have shown us how it is to be done. You have made provision for our sin through Christ. Oh, Father, may we come to you by faith in Christ and receive your forgiveness and health and wholeness and reconciliation with you and with one another. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Allen. You guys thankful for that this morning?